0: Black Resilience Fund is an emergency fund dedicated to healing and resilience by providing immediate resources to Black Portlanders. With me today is co-founder of Black Resilience Fund, Cameron Witten. Cameron, welcome to Good For Now.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Now, you started Black Resilience Fund, if I'm correct, back in early June with the hopes of raising about $5,000. Um, through a crowdfunding campaign, is that correct?
1: Through a social media post that is correct. I posted on Facebook the Sunday after George Floyd's murder, and uh, I've been a activist since Black Lives Matter was a term. so uh, I didn't expect much to change, even with the video, uh, even with the headlines. Uh, but I went to Facebook knowing that uh, this was an uh, important time for a call to action, and it helped folks to realize that uh, Black folks are facing uh, violence every day in their very own communities, uh, the violence of poverty, the violence of systemic racism, and uh, we can uh, show up for those neighbors and help them breathe a little easier. And so I went to Facebook, and uh, within that first day, we raised over $11,000 uh, by the Next day, we raised over $55,000. And by day three, it was over $155,000 uh, raised for Portland's Black community.
0: That is absolutely incredible. It's so overwhelming, the amount of response that you got. And that was just in a matter of a couple of days. Within the next few weeks, it just grew and grew and grew. What I'm curious to find out, though, is what was your what was the original post post? Um, claiming your mission was going to be? What did you anticipate your mission to be?
1: This was not an organization. Uh, we don't want to give anybody the impression that there was like some kind of retreat that happened or there was any kind of like messaging plan or fundraising campaign that was organized. <laughs> uh, that was not what happened. This was very organic. It was very grassroots. And uh, the post that I uh shared Sunday morning was, you know, friends, uh, we have all survived a long, painful week that is an extension of a year that's challenged all of us to the core. As we are organizing for systemic change, we can also make an immediate impact in the lives of our neighbors. Uh, For my black siblings, do you need a warm meal? Do you need groceries? Do you need a bill paid? Reach out to me and we'll find you some resources. Uh, For my non-Black siblings, if you have anything to spare at all, uh, please reach out, and we will work together. Uh, That was the call to action, and uh, it is here we are. 28 days later, uh, we raised over a million dollars, and here we are now about three months in, and we're close to reaching our $2 million uh, fundraising mark
0: organizing that rapidly with that amount of resources is is a huge challenge but it sounds like you guys are doing this this hard work you have over 300 volunteers at this point is that correct
1: yes i truly is a village
0: and where do you find your volunteers
1: our volunteers found us uh we had need and we need more volunteers just in case anybody's watching um and they signed up on our website. We had a Google form. And uh, yeah, uh, our volunteers are truly leading our movement. Uh, we have operated for three months with 100% volunteer power. And uh, these are folks who are uh, you know, leading our intakes. These are folks who are doing all of our data entry and data organizing. These are folks who created a mutual aid network that has delivered 3,000 food boxes since June 1st. Um so our volunteers truly are our superpower and it, it is helping to show that uh Portlanders are showing up for Black Lives in ways they never have before.
0: Yeah, absolutely and for people who are listening, you can go to blackresiliencefund.com uh to get some more information and uh and I believe that there's a way to to donate or at least it points you in the right direction of where to where to donate on the website blackresiliencefund.com. Uh, now, as as a youth, and and I hope you don't mind talking about this, you experienced uh, homelessness in Portland, and I was curious what that experience or if that experience informed your motivation or inspired you to start this, uh, this movement that you're that you're currently working on.
1: It definitely inspired how the Black Resilience Fund does this work. Uh, When I first came to Portland, I was 18. I was escaping a childhood that was marred by dysfunction and abuse. And when I came here, I had nothing. I had no family, no connections, no job. I had nothing. And for two months, I spent every single night worrying whether I would be turned away from a shelter bed and have nowhere to go. But thanks to Portland, its generosity and the people here. I was never turned away from shelter. I and others like me had access to resources so that we could find housing, find employment and ultimately define our own futures. So I am grateful and I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the support of Portland's nonprofits. But I also saw what it's like to be on the other side of the plexiglass, so to say, and to be a client in these programs, Uh, not every nonprofit's the same. Not every experience is a positive one. At the same time that you might be in basic need of support, uh, your humanity is discarded. Your intentions are demonized. You're felt like you are an object instead of a person. And so when we created the Black Resilience Fund, we knew that that kind of feeling that is sadly far too prevalent in nonprofits that did not serve our communities. It did not even serve the best interests of the nonprofits and their mission. And so we created the Black Resilience Fund, understanding that we wanted to transform the way that we help the community, ensuring that every single person who comes to us has their humanity embraced, elevated, and celebrated. So uh, that's what we do. Uh, We, In the middle of a pandemic where we have isolation, uh, rising mental health challenges. We've created an avenue where Black Portlanders you know, get to connect with other Black Portlanders. Every person who applies for funding, they're interviewed by a peer, a Black Portlander in their community. And we get them $300 to them via check, Cash App, Venmo. And uh, we do not ask to see receipts. We do not ask for them to you know, give us their landlord's name so we can give the money to them. Uh, we provide those resources directly to the individuals, trusting that they understand what they need to live their best life. And so, uh, yes, my experiences with youth homelessness and the uh, challenges within our nonprofit industrial complex. Uh, definitely informed how we wanted to do the Blackwood Resilience Fund differently, and use it as a platform to advocate for other nonprofits to really change the way that they support the community.
0: Again, as I said earlier, you have about three hundred volunteers, uh, and which means as a nonprofit, you have very low overhead, if if any overhead at all. So you can really focus your funds uh, on on the community and providing assistance to the community as opposed to, you know, the administrative work that needs to be done or paying employees, uh, being nonprofit and, uh, volunteer driven, the resources that people are are donating to the black resilience fund are then, uh, I would say probably what 90% if not more being donated back to the community.
1: So, Here's my feelings about nonprofit overhead, is that we use that term a lot, and nobody really has a shared definition on what's overhead. Hmm. Uh, the reality is, is that there is no way that our organization could continue to support Black Portlanders through COVID without paid staffing. Right. You know, it is great to talk about how we have 300 volunteers working with us, many of whom are able to do that because they currently do not have employment. They are waiting for our economy to reopen. When COVID is over, we will not have the number of active volunteers who are very talented, qualified professionals who are spending 40 hours per week, if not more, on the Black Resilience Fund. So uh, our model is not sustainable. And we do not want to feed into this myth that uh, nonprofits that uh, do not spend money on staffing are somehow doing this work better. Uh, It's truly not real. And also, because we are creating a a movement that is very culturally affirming for Black people, where we're encouraging for Black folks to uh, go out and help their community, we don't not want to perpetuate cycles of exploitation where we expect Black folks to work 40, 60 hours a week without compensation. And so for us, we are truly about building wealth within the Black community, not just through uh, providing funding awards, but by providing livable wages for folks who are doing the work. And so uh, that's the reason why, you know, we went the first month uh, dedicating 100% of the funds raised to Black Portlanders uh, but we had to change that you know, after that first month because we did not stay sustainable. Volunteers are doing very stressful work. This is one of the deadliest summers that we've experienced in Portland in the past century. Uh, and this is not because of COVID, this is because of homicides. And so we've had, and those homicides have especially hit the black community. So I, our co-founder Salome, and so many of our, our black intakers, we've had to take many calls from mothers grieving the loss of their child. So uh, this is work, that this is work. I guess that's all I have to say, this is work. And uh, we should be looking at supporting nonprofits through a, a broader lens than just are there, is there overhead uh, small?
0: Um, I, I did a work over in Haiti after the earthquake in 2010, uh, over there for about a year um, and We ran into a lot of uh, issues with large organizations who were were career organizations. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, uh, and I have no shame in mentioning uh, organizations Mm -hmm. like the Red Cross who do incredible work, uh, but oftentimes are slowed down by uh, the the sheer size of of what they Mm -hmm. do uh, and Mm -hmm. the politics behind it. Now, I'm not comparing you your organization with, with the Red Cross by any stretch, um, but it's good to see the grassroots organizations focus locally, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, because of how rapid this has grown uh, over the last month or so, is there any ambition to expand the organization outside of the Portland metro area um, and and turn this into, something that's, uh, that's more national?
1: Well, it's uh, funny that you mentioned that. We are currently partnering with our bank, Beneficial State Bank, to uh, host an online webinar this week uh, called A National Movement for Resilience. And so we'll it'll be moderated by the co-founder of Beneficial State Bank, Kat Taylor. Um, and we've been reaching out to, uh, you know, connections in in Washington State, in California, uh, across the West Coast, uh, to have this dialogue. Uh, Folks will be able to hear from myself and three of our volunteer team leads to learn a little bit more about the infrastructure that has helped the Resilience Fund be successful. And so uh, definitely, uh, out of everything that has happened in this country since the murder of George Floyd, uh, there have been so many headlines of conflict of Black pain um, and of some progress, but what I've truly seen to be exceptional coming out of Portland and Oregon, which has its unique history of racism and white supremacy, uh, you see this peer movement that has um, really risen up in such a positive and profound way to show that Black Lives Matter. Um, The Black Resilience Fund Fosters healing for our community, and I think it really sends a powerful message to the rest of this country of what healing and reconciliation can look like.
0: Yeah, it's something that everybody's. I don't know. It's, I, it's I've spoken about it before on the podcast, and I get emotional about it. Um, and and again, there's no shame in that either. I think people need to get uh, emotional and allow that to happen. So, uh, you know, there's there's no. There's no progress if you just keep pushing things down. You got to you got to talk about it and get emotional about it sometimes. So, um yeah, it's I you know, I I I watched the video uh of the George Floyd murder. Um and I, I I again, I get emotional every time I I watch it or I talk about it. Um but I'm curious this isn't this is something that when we watched it as a country it, hmm. it felt like, and you said something earlier that, that kind of surprised me because only because I had a different perspective. When I, when I watched that video, I've always maintained the belief that people refuse to act until something directly impacts them. They have to be confronted with it. We saw it very often with, uh, with the Iraq War until you knew somebody in your family uh, who came back in a coffin. Um, and that happened time and time again across this country. And then people started getting motivated. And when I saw that video, my initial response or reaction was, this is something that nobody can ignore. This is going to change. This is going to change things. And I sat there and, and I wept, not just at the brutality of the murder, but the prospects of what could happen, what could come from this? and yeah, you can hear my voice shaking a little bit, just uh, talking about it, but um, it's inspiring. It really is fucking inspiring uh, to see what's what's going on uh, right now in the streets of portland um, and and around the country around this issue. um I wanted to mention uh, one thing uh, from your website you you release. I think they're called action reports, is that correct? Um, Impact reports. Impact reports, yeah, and it's very, very transparent. And I wanted to talk to you about a couple of these specifics. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of areas that you're providing assistance to the community, whether it's rent, uh, paying phone and internet bills, childcare, small business support, uh, student Mm -hmm. loans, moving costs, providing hot meals, legal fees, groceries. Mm -hmm. Um, what are you hearing from, directly from people in, in the community as far as what their greatest needs are and, and why it's so challenging for them to find uh, assistance during this time?
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm really proud of our impact reports. They are, are uh, beautiful, both with their visual, but beautiful with how we share our impact. We are, you know, we've received over 10,000 applications for need. And, you know, when folks fill out the form, uh, we ask folks to tell us what exact bills they have. And we do that uh, knowing that, one, we don't have enough funds to support everyone's entire needs. But uh, for us to be able to, to document where people are at and how does that inform the advocacy that we are doing for systemic change, and uh, the place where our funds are spent the most are groceries, number one, and then rent number two. But the, there is more truth hidden underneath that data because the reality is that we're in the middle of a rent moratorium where folks are able to stay housed and stable without paying their rent, but there's no moratorium on hunger. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, many of the folks who are spending these funds on groceries have not been paying their rent since March. And so we are facing a sheer cliff. Uh, this rent crisis is the crisis that is not catching headlines right now with everything else going on in this country. And yet, truly, it is going to create a huge upheaval and all the work that we've done for the last few decades. On social mobility. And so we've got to do more than what we currently have been doing. Uh, I have hope that our leaders are listening and the Black Resilience Fund is taking it very seriously that we have to be pushing strong for real action on rent relief.
0: When does the moratorium end? Do you know?
1: So the moratoriums keep changing. Uh, what is happening right now is that we've been under a statewide moratorium as uh, governed by uh, Kate Brown. That is going to be ex- uh, ending at the end of this month. The CDC has put together its recommendations for uh, a rent moratorium that has its own regulations. City Council, Portland City Council, is currently uh, considering creating just a city-specific rent moratorium. Um I mean, eviction moratorium. So the the challenge is is that we've got this like mosaic of public policy that is confusing for myself. It's confusing for people who are housing experts. Um, there is such intense immediate need, and uh, the sad thing is is that we keep extending this moratorium without having a real plan on how folks are going to pay this rent rental debt, because even say this economy comes back online and people start working again, most of these people were living on subsistence, subsistence, they were barely able to pay their month's rent, how are they going to pay back rent, it's uh, completely unacceptable and we have to do better.
0: Are you part of that conversation? Has anyone reached out to you at city council or at the governor's office to, to be included in that conversation?
1: No, I'm not the person that is on the mayor or the governor's speed dial, uh, but we are still out here doing the work and uh, we will uh, be sharing our perspective to anyone who listens.
0: Yeah, one of the biggest concerns is uh, what happens when the moratorium ends, how landlords are going to respond to uh, the the renters contracts that they currently have are they going to demand the full amount as soon as the moratorium ends are they going to prorate it or add it on to the end of the rent um, there's really no guidance as far as i'm aware uh, on how to approach that so it's almost up to the landlords uh, how they're going to take each case once the moratorium ends and that's pretty exactly. frightening.
1: The um, rental market has always been the wild, wild west. You have some landlords that are angels, myself included, and you have some landlords who are demons. And that is the problem that we had uh, before COVID, but that problem is being exacerbated by this crisis. And considering that we do not have enough funding federally or locally for rent assistance, Um, this is going to cause uh, a lot of instability. Uh, We've got to be looking at bigger policy changes than just rent relief uh, um, and short-term rent assistance because the money's not there.
0: Yeah, long-term approach. Um, You had mentioned, uh, I believe it was on twitter and you had mentioned that uh portland has a unique progressive history to be proud of but at the same time our legacy of systemic oppression and white supremacy has tarnished that progress we need Mm. to look in the mirror and own up to that history i thought Mm. that was a very beautiful concise uh message for everyone who is grappling with the current moment that we're in not just in portland though Throughout the country, when we talk about systemic racism and 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 what approaches are needed for long term solutions, and it really does start with looking in the mirror, right It's true i mean we can't we can't do we can't do anything without checking ourselves first, uh, and then from there, of course, demanding from leadership and governance. Um, policy changes very meaningful policy changes Uh, now I know we just talked about rental assistance um, but in order to confront this um, what do you recommend to somebody who hasn't had who hasn't lived the black experience Um, how do what do you recommend what kind of conversations they need to have with themselves looking in the mirror what's really important for them to understand
1: there needs to be a paradigm shift Uh, A few years ago uh, when uh, I spent most of my time as an equity educator, I coined this term called racial disengagement. And uh, it speaks to uh, the huge foundation of which uh, aggressive and intentional white supremacy is built off of. The reality is, is that if you are white, there is a high likelihood that you are walking through your day, whether it is where you work, your neighbors, the media that you consume, it is all white. It is produced by, it's dominated by white people, white narrative, white perspective. So um, that's not the case for black, brown, indigenous people. We live in a majority white country where the employers, the media, uh, most leadership, whether elected or private, are white. There is no way that we can navigate our lives without understanding the perspective of white people. But that's not the case from the other direction. And so a lot of these issues like, you know, police violence, like the housing crisis, uh, white folks can go through their lives not understanding what's truly happening to black, brown, indigenous people. So we need a culture shift. We need for real engagement on race. This is not just about having conversations. This is not just about reading the right books or being uh, woke. This is about real relationships. If you were walking down the street and you saw somebody passed out on the ground, you might dismiss that person or say they're, they're on drugs what, some, they, there's a reason why they're there but that was your kid you wouldn't give a damn you would be on the phone you'd be grabbing people off the street you'd be on webmd trying to figure out how to save your kid and so i ask for folks to really start finding as brian stevenson says finding proximity with the lives and the humanity of black brown and indigenous people step out of your comfort zone step out of the whiteness that is the life that you are surrounded by and really find a way to embrace and celebrate the experiences uh, of others in your community.
0: Hmm. Have you noticed any shifts uh, since you've been to, since you've lived in Portland? Uh, any any progress in this area in Portland?
1: Yes, it's always a lot of work. Um, Portland has a lot of work to do. You know, we are a city that is part of a country that, I mean, a, a state that was intentionally built to be whites only, and uh, much most of what is marketed as the Portlandia vibe and ethos was not meant for people who look like me. And so, even though we might have a hundred days uh, plus of ongoing protest, even though we might be donating to groups like the Black Resilience Fund, that does not mean that we are building real relationships with the Black community. Um, That is extremely problematic, and it needs to change.
0: Um, And since you started the uh, Black Resilience Fund, and again, it was early June, is that correct? June 1st, June 1st. And we're at September 14th. What does the next um, leading up through the election, uh, early 2021, what is that chapter of Black Resilience Fund look like for you?
1: Our goal right now is to ensure that every single person who's applied so far gets real intangible support. That means we still have to raise $1.3 million uh, to provide support to the 10,000 people who've applied so far. Uh, I know people are really inspired and excited. A million dollars is a big deal, but when you start doing the math, it goes nowhere near close to the intense need that's currently within the Black community. And so we're still fundraising. Um, we just got our our biggest uh, individual donation from, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a corporation. And it's really interesting to see that now Fortune 500 companies are seeing us and finding ways to pitch in. Uh, but we really are a grassroots movement. We've gotten over 17,000 donations since June 1st. And we need to continue to bring in that grassroots energy uh, throughout the rest of this year because COVID has not gone away. The need has not gone away. We have to continue to show our neighbors that their lives do matter.
0: Yeah, there's no there's no sign that any of this is is going to go away. And now you, we put on top of of COVID uh, and systemic racism the fires uh, that we're experiencing here in Oregon. And I'm not sure where 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 you are in Portland or in the surrounding areas. Uh, I'm personally surrounded by by uh, smoke, and we've got a go bag ready. We're looking to you know we're looking to leave at, at any moment. It seems like we should be okay. Um, but we can't really leave the house for long periods of time. uh and this is affecting everybody, but it also affects people who have uh preexisting conditions um and it affects uh lower income communities as well. Are you hearing from people in the community um that they are are, are struggling with the the smoke and the fires? Uh, and is there a way that, that people can help you and help your organization support members of the community during this time as well?
1: Our community is on fire. It's it's devastating. And thinking about how this year started off with bombs flying through the sky, and we've gone through social unrest, we've gone through global pandemics, uh, economic firestorm. I'm just waiting for the zombies to show up. Yeah. It's just like, if the world is ending, can we end it a little faster? <laughs> So truly, it is devastating that it just seems like every week there's a new stage of the apocalypse happening. Uh, air quality is a huge issue for our community, um, considering that most of the you know wildfire you know alerts have happened Clackamas County, um, they've happened Marion, not so much Portland proper. Uh, Portland's Black community mostly lives in Multnomah County, um, and so uh, it does not impact. Uh, black Portlanders as much as it impacts uh, white Oregonians that live around the state. Um, but uh, air quality is still an issue. You know, we do you know donations of food, uh, of masks. Um, so anything that folks can do to continue to pitch in, uh, we it's greatly appreciated.
0: Okay. Yeah, I read a statistic earlier that around seven million people a year uh, die because of, of, uh, complications due to air pollution. And this is, we've seen over the last week or so, the worst, uh, air pollution in, in the world, in our area. Uh, so the impact of this is, is going to be felt immediately and possibly even long-term. So again, if, if you're listening and you're trying to figure out ways to, to help, you can go to blackresiliencefund.com is there anything else uh, that's, that's pressing or urgent that you needed to get out there for, for people who are listening uh, in regards to your community or, or your organization?
1: We have a lot of important choices ahead of us right now. Um, these past four years, our country has been submerged into the chaos. this year we have to change direction we have to give this country a fighting chance for a better future i am so devastated to see how much we have gone backwards we were already so far away from equality and justice for all people and yet the work that has been happening for years has been completely undermined uh, by leadership that has planted seeds of hatred and division into this country where even political disagreement is causing for people to kill each other. Um, This is horrifying to think how hateful and divisive our country has become And we have to do something right now to stop it from happening for another four years. And so I implore for folks to realize our world is on fire right now. We have half a million Americans who are dying because of this pandemic that has ravaged our communities, if not more. So uh, if this is not a wake up call, I don't know what else can. So please, please, uh, this is the time to, to show up and really make a big difference for our future and our future generations.
0: All right, Cameron. I, I appreciate it. And uh, you always have a platform. If there's anything you need to get out there immediately, uh, you can just shoot me an email and say, hey, can I get on your, your, uh, your show? And you got an open invitation. All right.
1: You are a miracle of life. Oh, stop No that's, <laughs>
0: Let's stop and uh, once I stop recording, you can give me credit for something. Um, all right, this is uh, good for now. I appreciate everybody's time. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, check out Blackresiliencefund.com and uh, get off your ass. get involved. Vote. Good for
2: now.
0: So the part I don't like, but it's important. A lot of podcasts release new episodes on Monday, but we cover issues that impact people every day, so we release new episodes as soon as they're complete. Make sure to subscribe to get notified when new episodes are available. You can subscribe on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are available. You can even visit our website at gfnpodcast.com and subscribe to get notified before an episode is even released. This podcast is all about keeping the conversation going, so we want to hear from you. Be a part of the conversation by leaving us a voice message at anchor.fm/good-4-now. Nobody's going to remember that. Nobody. All right, I'll say it again. anchor.fm/good-4 Dash now. If you remember that, leave me a message. If you leave us a voice message, there's a good chance we'll play it on an upcoming episode and talk about it. Tell us how much you love an episode or how much you hate it and why, or ask us a question that maybe deserves more attention and we'll try to answer it. If you don't want to leave us a voice message, you can still be part of the conversation by sending a secure email on our website at gfnpodcast.com. We talk about a lot of problems in the world. But we also talk about solutions. So stay informed and stay connected and subscribe now.